Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. The things we're going to go over this morning, hopefully this will be a great boost to your faith. We're going to take a look at the gospel accounts of Christ's resurrection. But before I go to the resurrection, I have to refer back to the day when they took him down from the cross. We refer to it in American culture as Good Friday. I always wonder what was so good about it. It wasn't good for Jesus. I mean, it was good for us, right? Because Christ died for us. That's why it's called Good Friday, by the way. Not because it was so good for Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, Father, if it be all right with you, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink it. But he knew that in order to save us, he was going to have to take of this cup. He was going to have to take upon himself. It says the sacrifice of that perfect lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, he would have to take all of the sins upon himself. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us. In other words, he took on himself all of our sins. And Christ said, no one takes my life. I give it freely. I, I lay it down. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, Then Jesus, in verse 50, cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. He chose when he was going to go. He went, okay, I'm done. The task I was sent to do, to die for their sins, to be the sacrifice, the lamb that would take away the sins of the world, I have fulfilled it. It is finished. Then when he yielded up his spirit, Matthew tells us a few details that the other gospel writers don't include. And I have to point them out today because it'll help bring the story to life when we go to look at the resurrection. It says here in verse 51 of Matthew 27, Behold then, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top. There's a significance to this. In Jewish culture, from the top to the bottom was indicating God has tore the veil. Now, this was the veil that resided between the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle, that this would be the one that would let you go into the presence. Only once a year was a priest allowed to go into that Holy of Holies where the ark was kept in the back of the tabernacle. And that veil, when Christ yielded up his spirit, that veil was torn. Who was tearing the veil? Well, Christ is saying that this veil, this thing that is separated man from coming into God's presence, Christ has now tore it. He's tore it from the top down and made the way into God's presence. This is a pretty big deal. The thing that kept men from getting to God is now, it's been removed. Now, Matthew tells us this. Also, he says, and the tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that's the old way of saying had died, they were raised. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Not only did Jesus rise, it says he was the firstborn of the resurrection, right? Ephesians tells us that before he ascended, he first descended and preached release to the captives and said, who wants to get out of here? Will Christ raise us from the dead? Yeah. Yeah. Paul said that the ones that had died before Christ had come, they were the ones waiting for that resurrection. He was the firstborn of the resurrection. Then they were risen. Now, Paul writes to us in Corinthians. He says, now, don't you guys know now that we don't have to go to this place, Abraham's bosom, and wait? Because he says, the door has been opened. 
And who was the door? Jesus said it. He said, I'm the door. You want to get in? Anyone want to get to the Father? He says, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one gets the Father but through me. But after he died, he made the way that the door is open. And Paul, the apostle, tells us that now, if we die as a believer, we're absent from this body and we're present in Abraham's bosom, right? No. In purgatory, right? No. You know, some of these guys come up with stuff. I'm like, you need to read the book. This book. This book says that when you are absent from the body as a believer, when your spirit leaves this little shelly thing that you're living in, Paul says that when you're absent from this body, when your spirit leaves this body as a believer, you will go to be present with the Lord. And this, what is mortal? Immortality. Yes, the mortal will be swallowed up by immortality. The corruptible will be swallowed up by incorruption. You're going to be made into a new creature. That is eternal in the heavens. The Bible says you will have no more sorrow, no more pain. By the way, Paul likens this body, this earthly body. He has a term for it. This is the tent. Our heavenly body has a different term. Does anyone know what he uses in 2 Corinthians for our heavenly body? A mansion. Anyone up for an upgrade? I love the way that he picks these things to describe what God is going to do for us. We get to upgrade to a mansion. Now, this is the hope of our faith. Now, I know a lot of people, when they read that verse, they're thinking mansion as in ginormous house somewhere. But I always wonder, what if it's what Paul's talking about? That mansion, what is, he's referring to, you dwell in this little tent right now. Wait till you see what you get when you're before the Lord. I mean, you get, he refers to that, Paul does, as a mansion. That's an upgrade. Now, Matthew includes that Christ, when he died and rose, that after his resurrection, all these saints that were waiting, because, well, the kids asked me, how come those guys that died waiting for the promise of the Messiah, how come they didn't get to go to heaven? I told them, it's like what Jesus said in Luke 17. It's like the rich man when he died and he went to Hades. But there was a poor man, Lazarus, that was begging for the crumbs outside by his gate, and he had even sores that the dogs were licking his sores, and, and he died, it says, and the angels carried him away to Abraham's bosom where he waited. Now, I, by the way, I think Lazarus is one of the guys you're going to, maybe they could have thrown him in on the whole resurrection thing, show him back. That would be a nice vignette. You could just slide that into the story, and old Lazarus comes back, visiting the gate where the rich man was. The rich man, I'm not sure the rich man rose in, that, in this resurrection, what we're reading about, but, but I'm sure Lazarus did. In verse 54, the centurion who was there with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when he saw the earthquake and the things that happened, this is while Jesus is up on the cross, he became frightened. A centurion, a soldier, trained, we'd say like Green Beret, is freaked out. And he said, by watching Jesus, how he had, now these men had seen people die, but he said of Jesus, truly this man, was the son of God. In the way that he died, there's no, this is not the death of an ordinary man. This man truly was the son of God. And many women, it says, were there looking on from a distance, the ones who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Now among them was Mary Magdalene, and there was Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. It says, and, and when it was evening, there was a rich man that came from Arimathea named Joseph. 
who himself, it says, had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man, he went to, to Pilate. He asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene, who was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now this, it says, was on the day, the next day, it says, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, he said that after three days, I am going to rise again. So give orders that they make the grave secure. Otherwise, his disciples might come and steal away his body and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception, they said, would be worse than the first. So Pilate said, go, you have your guard, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and secured the grave. They set the seal on the stone. You guys know that part, right? They, they put Roman seal on it. Anyone who breaks, if you broke a Roman seal, what was the punishment? Death. But three days later, what will happen? The guard is going to, well, it says they're going to go down to their faces and they're going to be extremely frightened because there's going to be an occurrence. The stone will be rolled away. By the way, let me jump to John's gospel to get to the part of the resurrection Sunday that we're celebrating today. In John's gospel in chapter 20, on the first day of the week, which we call Sunday, it says Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. See, they were not allowed to do work on the Sabbath. And this is when Christ died the day before what's called the day of preparation. They had to get prepared for the Sabbath. Some of the kids were asking me this. I don't get it. How come they're like in a hurry? It's like almost sunset and they're trying to get Jesus's body off the, off the cross and get it to the grave. And Joseph, he was a wealthy man. He had actually prepared his own grave carved. I've been to, to, to Jerusalem. There's a place called the Garden Tomb. And it fits this description of the scripture. These guys, they it, it's a beautiful garden, but it's kind of set in a, a stone area where the just the contour of the of this rock formation, it forms a natural wall all the way around, like about two-thirds of a, a half circle. And it, right, car, Joseph had carved right into the stone his own grave. You, a doorway, walk in, and there's a, there's a bed carved right into the stone to lay the body to rest. And it's very similar. It has a, a trough carved into the stone for a large, like six-foot-high stone, about, oh, about oh, more than a foot thick. It's a big, monster, round stone that is rolled down the trough. Now, when I was there, I noticed that right in front of the doorway, the trough is a little bit lower and it's like kind of dipped like a round you know to accept the round stone as it falls into that it like locks it into place the rolling down doesn't seem that hard it would be once it fell into the slot how do you get that thing out mary on the day before the sabbath begins the jews by the way they count their sabbath their day starts at sunset so they're trying to hurry before the next day starts, the Sabbath, the Shabbat. They've got to get Jesus, because carrying a body is considered work. No work on the Sabbath. They've got to get him into a tomb. Joseph says, I've got my tomb prepared. I'll let him use my tomb. Now, Joseph might have been thinking he's given up his tomb, but it was only a rental. Three days. I mean, it was really, 
no big deal. He could have had it back. The interesting thing to me is Joseph did not choose to be buried in his own tomb. He still owned it. Joseph was never buried in that tomb after Christ rose. Tomb, that tomb is still empty to this day. In fact, when you go to Israel, they, they've since had to put a big, thick wooden door on it because of vandals. And when they swing, they'd close it at night and, and open it for the tourists to come and look inside. And you can tell it's obviously a, an addition afterwards, you know, modern day door put on. But they op- when you open the door, they have a verse from Mark's gospel. What reads, he is not here. He is risen. If he was able to be found, if his body, they had a, a Hollywood show about the centurion that was in charge of looking after his body and, and, they, and he couldn't find it. And he interrogated all the people. Where'd they put the body? And if they could have found Jesus's body, we wouldn't have Christianity as we do today. But see, they couldn't find it because of this one little detail. Christ truly did rise. And here, John tells us that Mary She was making her way to the tomb after. Now, see, they have their Shabbat, their Saturday, their Sabbath. She can't go that day. She has to wait till the following day, the first day of the week, that she's going to arrive. And she's going to come in thinking in the early morn, she comes wondering who's going to roll the stone away. Mark tells us this. She was with with the other Mary, and they're like, who's going to move the stone? We got to prepare it his body properly. We didn't have time. They just wrapped him in a sheet and got him ready. And well, let me show you this. Nicodemus, John 19, the end of John 19. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, he was bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, a hundred pounds worth of spice. What do you do with that spice, by the way? You guys know their custom. They wrap the body with linen. They smear the spice over it. Then they put another wrap and smear more spice and like mummifying, right? Kind of like making the mummy burrito. The kids call it a burrito, a spice burrito, Jesus burrito. They made Jesus, they, 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 it's to prepare the body for burial. They wrap from head to toe with the spices to lay to rest. They light a, an oil candle at the head. Usually it's like, it's all part of their symbolism that the Jews are very, they, they got their rituals to do. But the gals didn't get to do all that on that day before the, the Shabbat. So they were stuck. They're like, we got to wait till the first day of the week after the Sabbath is over. So they get there. It says in verse two of, of John 20, they ran. So they took the Jesus, Jesus's body, verse 40, bound it in linen wrappings with, with the spices as the burial custom of the Jews. Now the place where he was crucified, where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. I just want to point out these things I'm telling you about where I got it from the scripture. You say, what's the big deal? I'll show you in a minute. The Jews like these studies that they show shadows and types of, or fulfillments. God bringing about his, when God prophesies he's going to do something, they like to see how it comes about full circle. Like how does God bring it to pass, what he said he's going to do. Okay, this will be a fun one for you today. So they take him to the place, the garden, and therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid him there. Now, chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and they saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. They were on the way. Mark tells us they were going, how are we going to get the stone out of the way? 
So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, John, the guy writing the book. He says, Mary came and told them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. And so Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two of them were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb. Now, if you don't think this is written by real men, such humility, only a real man would mention who got to the tomb first. There was a race between Peter and myself, and I got there first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. John looked in, saw the linen wrappings, but didn't go in. Simon Peter, slow and steady, he gets there. Well, it doesn't say that just then. Simon Peter also came following him, and he entered the tomb and saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet, it says, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They didn't actually understand it. They just discovered the tomb is empty. And the gal had come to tell him that, hey, we don't, the tomb's empty. We don't know where the body went. I worship the God who could rise someone from the dead and didn't just rise Jesus, his son, but resurrected many of the dead saints and they were seen walking around Jerusalem. And that's the power of the message we're talking about today. We're serving a God who can bring us into everlasting life. Resurrection, not even death, can stop what God can do. That's what the the proclamation of this message is about, that we serve a God that could take care of death. He could raise you from the dead. It's no problem for him. I mean, he created life. But see, this is one of the things I want to point out to you from this story. This is where I love to do. By the way, if you're Jewish, this is for you. Because watch what happens. When it says that they saw the linen wrappings, it says they did not understand these scriptures, verse 9, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away to their own houses. But what about Mary? Look at verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and she looked in the tomb. And she saw... Now, she saw this. Interesting to me, Peter and John did not see what she gets to see. Verse 12 says, And she saw two angels in white, one sitting at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And verse 13 says, And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, She turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. But it tells us what she was thinking. Look at at verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, one word, Mary, her name. You know, Jesus says, my sheep, they know my voice. 
They know my voice. All he had to do is say her name. And she turned around and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which is great teacher. And she latches onto him. And Jesus says to her, stop clinging to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. She's like, you got away from me once, but not this time, buddy. You know, she's just holding on. He says, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. So Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And this is the things he had said to her. And she's telling them. Do they all believe her right away? No, it says that in Luke's gospel, she appeared to them as like what she was saying was like nonsense. And by the way, Jesus will show up and rebuke them for their unbelief. And he'll say something really interesting. They'll, they'll come to believe when they see him risen, but he'll say, "Blessed are more blessed are those who will, they don't get to see me. They just hear about this and they believe. In other words, we're the more blessed ones. We just hear this message. We weren't there, but they were there. But on the day this went down, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. You know, this whole resurrection thing was a new deal. You're laughing. You're going, oh, of course it's a resurrection. I've, read, I've learned this since I was in, in, in Sunday school when I was little. We learned about, doesn't, don't these guys know about Jesus rising? Guys, this is the day it happened. This is like new thing. Nobody's really gone through it before. Give them a little slack, okay? But when Paul writes the church at Corinth, Paul says something really interesting. He describes Jesus in a way that is really remarkable. He says, let me just read it to you. He says, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, so also is the resurrection from the dead. It is sown in a perishable body, but it's raised in an imperishable body. You know, you plant the seed of a little corn and then it dies, and but it comes up a new stock of what produces 160, you know, many fold just from one little seed. This body goes in as perishable, but it gets raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. If you ever have someone that's facing death, Read him this passage. Just explain to him, don't worry. The body you got now, this one perishes. But God has one that won't. It's going to be raised. And put your faith in him because he can do this. Now, so also, verse 45 says, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So also it is written that the first man, Adam, became a life-giving soul. And the last Adam, the last Adam, wait a minute. Who's the last Adam? Jesus became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from, from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those that are earthly. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, so we also will bear the image of the heavenly. Guys, I got good news for you. You got this earthly body, but God's got to upgrade. You get a heavenly body someday. And Jesus went to all this trouble. Now, he says, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. How many of you heard that verse from Corinthians? Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, the last trumpet will sound 
And it says, and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. This perishable must put on imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. This is a principle what the scripture has taught since the beginning. That God was going to take these perishable units that we got and upgrade them. Let me encourage you this day. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, it's a really simple thing God has given a gift of his son to the world. He said anyone who believes in him, anyone, doesn't matter what nationality, what culture, where you're from, what age, anyone who would believe in him should not perish. But you get everlasting life. If you came to church today and you, you never knew that you just need to receive that payment, what Jesus made for you. You just got to say, count me in, Lord. I want, I, want a, I want salvation. Today's a good day for you. I encourage you, just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. And, and get everlasting life. Get right with God. You know, if you won't believe what the scripture says, even this story of the resurrection will seem foolish to you. But if you believe what the scripture teaches, the resurrection is the power of God to salvation. And it's awesome. I have no trouble standing up here and tell you, I'd much rather believe that. A lot more credibility in that than the Easter Bunny. Put your faith in Jesus and have everlasting life. He is so worth it. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, celebratethelord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.